0: Napa Valley, California is known as one of the premier wine regions in the world, with its breathtaking scenery everywhere you turn, and home to some of the most magnificent vineyards the state has to offer. But on October 31st, 2004, it was known for the murders of two roommates that lived on Dorset Street. I'm Jennifer Blades. Join me for a special Halloween edition of The Unanswered. After a night of handing out Halloween candy to neighborhood trick-or-treaters, roommates Leslie Manzara, Adrian Insagna, and Lauren Menza called it a night around 11 p.m and went to bed in the single-family sage-colored house they rented on Dorset Street. Pitcher, leave it to Beaver. Lauren and Adrian, both 26, decided early in the year to rent a house together. Lauren was an all-state athlete with a political science degree and Adrian worked as a civil engineer with the city's sanitation district. On move-in day, Adrian's friends, Ben and Lily, along with Lily's fiance, Eric, were there to lend a much needed hand. Later that summer, 26-year-old Leslie, a former beauty queen from South Carolina, now public relations specialist, became their third roommate. Everything seemed to be going great until that faithful night when things would never be the same again. Everything was quiet until around 1.30am when Lauren, whose room was downstairs, reported that a motion sensor security light came on behind the garage, and her dog gave what she called a quote, warning bark. Lauren didn't think much of the light coming on, thinking it could have been her roommate Adrian's cat outside. Lauren went back to sleep, but within minutes, she heard someone entering the home and going upstairs. Leslie had a boyfriend that the girls all agreed was able to spend the night from time to time. So with that in mind, and the fact that he was there a few days ago, Lauren thought that the noise she heard was him. Lauren once again fell asleep, but this time, she was woken by what she described as a blood-curdling, terrifying scream. Lauren said Adrian kept screaming, Oh my God, please help, please help. Lauren managed to escape in the pitch darkness of the early morning. She opened her door, but fear got a hold of her. She stood painfully still until the unidentified intruder came rushing down the stairs, leaving a path of destruction. Lauren took off running, but ended up running the wrong way out of the back door, which was surrounded by a six foot fence that trapped her in. Lauren was able to hide, but could hear the intruder in the kitchen fumbling with the blinds in front of the house. Things got silent, except for the sounds of Adrian begging for help. Lauren bravely went back into the house, unaware if the intruder was still inside. She tried to call 911 from the kitchen, but the line was dead. She quietly made her way upstairs to check on her two roommates and found an unimaginable sight. Blood covered the bedroom floor, and Leslie was face down in a pile of clothes with stab wounds all over her upper body. Just mere feet away was Adrian, hiding behind her bed, surprisingly alive, but she was unable to speak and bleeding profusely from multiple stab wounds. Lauren, who was barefoot, made her way downstairs, slipping in her roommate's blood, and managed to get her cell phone and call 911. She gave the 911 dispatcher some information before her call went dead. It then dawned on Lauren that the intruder could still be inside the house. So she ran to her car and placed another frantic 911 call as she drove away. When investigators arrived on the scene, they found one of the girls dead and the other passed away shortly after paramedics arrived. Andy Lewis, who was the Napa police commander at the time, did not want to release the identities of the victims until their families were notified, nor did he want to release any details about the crime. Police were on a mission to learn more about the three girls, things like where they worked, who their friends, coworkers, and acquaintances were, anything that might be a possible connection to the assailant. It seems that they had reason to think that this wasn't the doing of a random stranger. As you can only imagine, Lauren was upset and afraid. She left the house and stayed with relatives. As the yellow police tape lined the house, neighbors gathered in disbelief and shock. They shared stories of the three girls and how they were friendly, respectful, and welcoming to their children, passing out Halloween treat bags outside of their jack-o'-lantern filled house. The police believed that the slaying was intentional and the killer knew who he was after. It's thought that the intruder entered Leslie's room first and then Adrian's, where it appears that they got into a scuffle and detectives believe that Adrian put up a fight, injuring the intruder. Napa detective Todd Schulman stated that there was blood evidence found on the blinds in the kitchen as the intruder was leaving, which meant they had his DNA. That was eventually tested and it was determined that it belonged to a white male of North European descent. Detectives also found an interesting and distinctive clue, camel Turkish gold cigarette butts that were smoked down to the filter outside of the house. Could this potential clue have been left behind by a nervous chain-smoking killer or a calculated cold-blooded murder that had everything planned out? Meanwhile, Lauren was left to wonder if the killer was someone she knew. Was he going to kill her too? Lauren told ABC News reporter John Quinones, quote, It turns my world into looking around and having a suspicion about everybody. I was thinking everybody was a suspect, any of my friends, End quote. She couldn't come up with any potential suspects, but had the police? They decided to look into those cigarette butts and were able to extract DNA. And it matched the blood found by the kitchen window Police told Lauren that the killer was probably a smoker, and she began thinking again. Lauren did recall that Eric Koppel, the fiance of that friend Lily, who helped her and Adrian move into the house, smoked. She stated that Koppel was shy and quiet and that he wasn't social at all. Detectives said that they hadn't checked his DNA. Police tried to reach out to Eric, but had no luck. They did release photos of the Camel Turkish gold cigarettes, that had only been on the market for four months at the time of the murders, and noted that they were smoked by the killer. Shortly after police released that picture of the cigarettes, family and friends were getting suspicious of Koppel. He knew the police would eventually come looking for him. So on September 27, 2005, Adrian's friend Lily's now husband, Eric Koppel, turned himself into the police and confessed to the murders of both Adrian and Leslie. It doesn't appear that Koppel had a real motive for killing the women. Several sources did report that he had become jealous of the friendship between Adrian and his fiancee Lily. The two worked together and often hung out outside of work. It's believed that Koppel may have been threatened by the relationship. As you can imagine, those who knew Koppel were shocked by the news. In January, when Lily and Koppel wed, they invited Adrian's mother, Arlene Allen to the wedding where she read a Bible verse in memory of her daughter. Koppel had even attended a candlelight vigil organized by Adrian's friends two weeks after the murder. Adrian's mother stated, quote, I never felt that he was dangerous. I never felt any kind of negative, dangerous, sinister vibe from him at all, end quote. Lauren reported that when she looks at Koppel's picture now, quote, it's difficult. He doesn't look like a criminal now. He was just a shy guy. He just seemed nice." End quote. Sources told ABC's Primetime that Koppel allegedly wrote a suicide note that indicated he was jealous of Adrian's close friendship with Lily. Although it's thought that was truly the underlying motive, there are still a lot of unanswered questions as to why someone would viciously murder two innocent women over a budding friendship. Eric Koppel is currently serving life without parole in a California state prison. Now, the missing candy murder. The day was Halloween and adults and children were getting ready for the festivities of the night. The air was crisp and scattered with clouds that were sure to set the tone for a perfectly spooky Halloween night to come. 49-year-old Maria Adams was paying her friend, 55-year-old Liddell Peoples, a visit at his home on the 7100 block of South Winchester Avenue and the West Inglewood neighborhood on the south side of Chicago. According to court documents, Maria met Liddell in 2007 Over the years, Liddell had given Maria money and gifts in exchange for sexual intercourse. Maria oftentimes spent the night at Liddell's house, so her visit that Halloween day wasn't out of the ordinary. However, Liddell did notice a bag of Halloween candy that went missing. He remembered that other items had gone missing whenever Maria would stay at his house. Maria denied taking the candy, and according to Liddell, He found the candy in her coat pocket and confronted her. According to Liddell, Maria then threw a glass plate which hit him just above the eye. He became enraged and walked towards her, screaming. Maria grabbed two steak knives, but Liddell wrestled her to the ground and forced the knives out of her hand. In a rage, Liddell, who had been diagnosed with schizophrenia at the age of 29 and had felony convictions for nonviolent offenses, was out for revenge. He then picked up the knives and started swinging at her, trying to stab her in the eye. The two fought, but Liddell was able to overpower Maria and proceeded to viciously attack her. Around 2.30 p.m. after the attack, Liddell allegedly got dressed and then called 911 to report the gruesome crime. When police arrived, they found him on the front porch where Chicago police officer John Davidson, described him as calm and seemed to be, quote, together. Davidson asked what was going on, and Liddell responded, that blank is crazy. She threw a plate at my head, end quote. As Davidson continued the conversation with Liddell outside, inside paramedics were attending to an unconscious Maria. In court documents, Officer Davidson observed a lot of blood broken dishes on the ground, and three knives in the kitchen sink. Chicago Fire Department Ambulance Commander, Michael Nolan, testified in court that he and his partner found Maria face down in a pool of blood. He stated that she was unresponsive and had a weak pulse. When Commander Nolan turned Maria over, he saw multiple actively bleeding lacerations and puncture wounds to her face, cheek, and hands. Maria's blood pressure was low and her eye response was sluggish, which indicated trauma to her head. Paramedics took Maria to the John H. Stroger Jr. Hospital in Cook County. Dr. Andrew Dennis was the trauma surgeon who examined Maria and determined that she had over 20 stab wounds and lacerations caused by someone holding a knife in both hands. It was also reported by Dr. Dennis that Maria had suffered blunt force trauma to the head and had hematomas under her scalp. These types of injuries were consistent with being stomped on or slammed into the floor. Maria was in critical condition for five days when, unfortunately, she did not regain consciousness and succumbed to her injuries on November 5, 2011. An autopsy was performed, as the assistant medical examiner testified that Maria actually had 28 wounds about her body, ranging from her scalp, face, hands, and forearms. Her official cause of death was brain cerebral edema and brain deficient due to the stab wounds, and the manner of death was homicide. Liddell was charged with two counts of first degree murder and sentenced to 30 years in prison. During the trial, Liddell claimed self-defense and stated that he, quote, murdered no one intentionally, end quote. We'll never truly know what exactly happened that night, but what is true is that a life was lost, and I hate to think that it was over a bag of Halloween candy. Thank you for listening to this Halloween special of The Unanswered. Join me next week for another Halloween murder. Until then, stay safe. Don't forget to follow The Unanswered Podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Instagram and Facebook at The Unanswered Podcast.